0: Welcome to The New School.
1: What we wanted to do was talk about the concept of authenticity and vulnerability in an industry that has typically been super buttoned up, super professional, and a little bit old school. My name is Candace Carlton, and I'm the Head of Advisor Education at FICOM Partners, and I'm joined, as always, by my fabulous co-host and the CEO of FICOM Partners, Meg Carpenter. I think what's really cool about the New School Video Podcast is we get to speak to all kinds of change makers, both inside our industry, the independent wealth management space, as well as outside our industry, and get their perspective on what it requires to create connection, find a different way, and build a business in alignment with their why, using money as an entry point to help people live more fulfilling lives. So that was like a whole bunch that I just said there. It's really like, how do you help people live more meaningful lives with money? This episode specifically is such so aligned with that. We got to speak to Brian Portno, who is the founder of Shaping Wealth, which is a learning technology platform transforming the human experience of money. So for advisors, they have content and coaching to help them and their clients transform the human experience of money. I mean, how do you do that? How amazing is that? Brian is a CFA, he's an author, and he also is a PhD from the University of Chicago. So his insights and perspectives are fascinating and expanding. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. We are so excited to have Brian Portnoy on the podcast today. So, Brian, I thought this really stood out from your Shaping Wealth website. You said, It was actually, I think, a video on your main page and it said, we seek understanding. We want contentment. We seek well-being in all aspects, but getting there isn't easy. We say enough to refocus, take control, and elevate. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit of this. We are shaping wealth, a well-being platform devoted to changing the experience of money and helping people underwrite a meaningful life. And you say that you do this through coaching and content So the first question I had is, how do you see content shaping people's well-being?
2: So I love this question. And, you know, we could go back to the ancient Greek philosophers to talk about how our self-understanding, our understanding of the world contributes to the good life. I, I doubt when you asked the question, you wanted me to go back to Plato and Aristotle. But the fact is that the three of us, And our loved ones and everyone we know is thinking about what's a life well lived. And so, you know, we've got this modern world called content, but let's just call it knowledge. Let's just, you know, refer to the fact that we're trying to figure things out and also stipulate that it's never been harder to do that because we've never had to sort through more information, more data, more choice. So I, I think, you know, there's a, a case to be made that under, understanding the world around us uh, contributes to our sense of, of, of well-being. But also the process of simplification makes a really powerful difference because we, we don't want things simplistic, but we do want them simple. And anybody that can help people bring, you know, carry them along their journey from the complex to the simpler, I think is doing really good work. And, you know, um, we see it in our financial services world. There are some groups and, you know, I've kind of tried to insert myself into that dialogue um, with, hey, let, let's simplify things. Let, let's clean it up a little bit. And that clarity hopefully inspires some of the well-being that we're talking about.
1: You know, when I was looking at that on your website and doing like all the research to have you on as a guest. Thank you for being here. We're really excited about it. One of the things that I think occurred to me, I remember, weirdly enough, when I was in high school and I was in English class and our English teacher used to put quotes up on the wall. And one day she put up this quote and it said, we read to know we're not alone. And at the time, I thought this is important, but I didn't quite understand it. But it, it kind of stayed top of mind. But I knew there was something really high impact about it. And so when I when I saw that you're building this content and coaching platform, and usually using content as the vehicle to help people with their well-being, I was struck by that because I think what it is is we're all in this human experience and through simplification, through other people's knowledge and experience, if we can relate to it as a common or shared experience, it makes us feel less alone. And if we can see real life examples of people who've used the experience to create more fulfillment, we then feel like it's more possible for ourselves.
2: Well, I'll uh, quote for quote one of my uh, favorites, which I think fits in here, is from E.O. Wilson, who invented the field of sociobiology half a century ago, and and he said recently passed, but he said some years ago that we're drowning in information but starved for wisdom, and that in and of itself strikes me as profoundly true. But then to follow on or build upon what you just said. Um, the idea that we're in this together is, I think, affirming and healthy, but it's often fleeting and hard to wrap our brains around. One of the things that we found in coaching financial advisors, but also working with their clients uh, as as well, is that there's this two-step process of permission and validation, which lands really powerfully. Uh, I, I've actually you know, been surprised at how those conversations have gone at times because just the mere act of saying, hey, we're allowed to go there. So in this cold, sharp-elbowed world of money and stocks and bonds and crypto and all this other noise, the fact that we're actually allowed to talk about what we really care about uh, is empowering to people. Uh, and what do we really care about? We care about answering the question, am I going to be okay? Are my loved ones going to be okay? Not, you know, is Bitcoin the future or do I own the best mid-cap value fund or is my portfolio efficient along the Markowitz frontier? No one really cares about those stuff. We're asking other questions that I think are much more important. And so, you know, there's the permission piece, which is we can go there. And then there's the validation piece, which is even more powerful, which is that you're not alone that other people are thinking about these same things. They too are scared to go there, but it's nice to know that um, others are in the same boat. And it's not so much a, a misery loves company. Uh, may, maybe it is a little bit, uh, that 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 element. But it it's really nice to know that in some ways, you're in some form of cohort in the world where other people like you are struggling with you know, this crazy thing called life.
0: So the permission and validation concept sort of strikes me in a way that I wanted, I I thought about social media when you said that, because I feel like social media is such a powerful tool to connect, but you have to sort of tread lightly and with intention, because sometimes in social media, you're actually not giving people permission, Mm -hmm. right? Or they're not validating you in the right ways, right? So there can be this sense of like um, projection, feeling like someone else has it all when we all know that nobody has it all. And so when you're thinking about building this and working with financial advisors and coaching financial advisors, and now thinking about using social media as one tool mm-hmm. to share content that can impact well being, like how do those two things, like how do you, how does the world of like, the Kardashian, you know, like Insta famous influencers with this really meaningful, important, like rich conversation about things that are so important. Like, how do you live within the two in a way that's positive?
2: I, 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 I want to anchor on the word agency. Hmm. I think that we sometimes underestimate and undervalue our own agency in the world because life can often feel so overwhelming. And we can even, you know, we could just narrow it to money world and not just investing, but saving, spending, budgeting, you know, giving, you know, being being charitable, how we go, you know, think about the phrase how we make a living. So it's a job, you know, you sell your labor for cash, but we call it, you know, making a living. That's a loaded phrase and it's a it's a it's a deep phrase that we sort of gloss over. So if we anchor on the fact that we all have a lot of agency, probably more than we think we do, then we could g- choose to be along, you know, this broad conversation um, forces for good. And so, yeah, of, of course, there's the opportunity to um you know, you know, the, the word authenticity, you know, what a lot of us are doing is sort of curating our authenticity, which is, you know, uh, sort of a weird paradoxical thing. Like if you're curating your authenticity, then is it really authentic?
0: Mm. But like,
2: you know, putting yourself out into the world as you really are and trying to help. So, you know, one of the, you know, so so agency is one thing, like you you can choose to try to do good. And then the second thing I'd put in the mix and and sort of what's at the emotional core of so much of the programming and coaching that, that we're doing with advisors and their clients is empathy. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of programming and training on empathy. And is empathy a trait or a skill? Yes. We underplay though, the fact that it is a skill and that we're not here, you know, us as coaches, but all of us just being in the world together. The, the goal for any of us is not to become Oprah or Brene Brown it's to become a slightly more empathetic or slightly kinder version of ourselves. And I think we all know that when we take that leap, which makes us feel vulnerable, I mean, you know, hashtag Brene Brown, um, Mm -hmm. we we know that it can make a real impact in the world. So, you know, when we work in the traditional stodgy, somewhat conservative world of, of wealth management and we introduce this idea of empathy, we do have to revisit what I mentioned earlier, which is permission, but hey, we we can talk about this. You have a choice to do better, you have agency, and you can choose to be a slightly more empathetic version of yourself. Um, you can be better at this. And as a result, you can empower people to have you know different perception, different attitude, make better decisions, which drive better outcomes.
1: Brian, so We work with firms across the country. We love working with advisors. And as you would expect, like our clients on the spectrum of, you know, if you like show up authentically, if we like say, um, you know, lead with authenticity and vulnerability and be in that space and use marketing as a vehicle to express that, to self-actualize and like run your business that way. We have clients who are totally bought in, they're into it. And then we have clients who are kind of like, I get it. I'm a little bit nervous about that, but I'm not sure that's actually going to resonate with my clients. Maybe they're kind of like in the middle within Mm -hmm. the context of our entire industry what percent how much do you think are in that like we get it money is an entry point to help people live more fulfilling lives and these traits of empathetic listening uh thinking about ideas of fulfillment is really where my highest value is versus what how our industry has historically operated in terms of it being about numbers and professionalism like All those things we feel are table stakes, but we also acknowledge and know that there's still quite a lot of our industry who believes like the touchy feely stuff may not belong there. In your experience, what do you think that mix is?
2: I've I've thought about that and I've kind of given up trying to come up with a number. The Mm -hmm. fact is the industry is massive. Uh, and we work with clients in the US, Canada, Europe, um, uh, Australia. So, you know, we're, we're exposed to different firms, different cultures across across different countries. We have clients that run the gamut. And so for us, it's important to think about being very attuned to how certain messages are landing. Um, because to the point earlier about authenticity, our, our goal is not to turn Gordon Gecko into Brene Brown right? Mm-hmm. Like we want people to be whoever they are and attract the audience, you know, i.e. clients that make sense for them. And if you're a hard-charging broker and you want to sell securities and you want to be in the market, great. Do do that and, and find the people who are right for you. The, the fact is that, you know, I'm thinking specifically of, of a couple, you know, clients at either end of the spectrum. In one case, old school brokers um, who are just beginning to think about the idea that salespeople can also be financial planners. Mm. And it's a great conversation. Um, it's, hey, I mean, look, there, 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 there's a commercial element that's at the core of it, which is, oh, well, let's build a recurring revenue business where we're selling financial plans as opposed to just selling, you know, stocks and bonds or whatever. That, 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 that's fine. Um, but, you know, a, as this organization embraces this broader notion of financial planning, let's dig into the ways in which that opens some doors to, um, you know, talking about these broader notions of well-being without necessarily going all woo-woo on on it. And at the other end, you know, we work with full-blown life planners who get it. But, you know, for the same reason that LeBron James has a head coach who tells him at times during the game that he needs to play defense harder or pass the ball more. By the way, LeBron James knows how to play basketball. It's really good for the best of the best to have coaches who are in their ears reinforcing the fundamentals. And so, you know, across the spectrum, it seems to be landing well. And if we can frame, you know, the solution just as hey, there there are better ways to help the people that you want to help. There, there's no one who's not into that, and if if, if that is their attitude, um, if they really are kind of old school, um, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, you know, you know, Wall Street, you know, they're they're probably not going to be right clients for us anyway. So um, it's it's fine. <laughs>
0: It's funny, sometimes it's sad, right? Sometimes, you know, you look at the population and you think like, oh, there's such an opportunity here. I think where we've found a lot of alignment is and just really focusing on working with the advisors who share our worldviews and, and, and sort of want to build that better business that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And we feel like our impact and the work that we do every day sort of helps by extending that impact that they want to deliver to their clients by helping them get in front of more clients. Mm-hmm. And so we talk a lot about sort of um, just reshaping, as Candace said, like not focusing on the table stakes, but really focusing on, you know, where are the advisor's vision and values? How do they align? How does that sort of resonate with the change that they're trying to create within their individual business? So, Tell us a little bit about your personal story, Brian, and like how did your vision and values come together to find this alignment that you have now with Shaping Wealth? Um, How does that relate to your personal journey?
2: Yeah, I, I really appreciate that that question, Meg. I mean, what 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 isn't one's personal journey? Um, I, I and I'm pretty, you know, I've written a few books, and I, I've been pretty transparent about the things along the way, both both good and bad. And you know, I'm on my fourth or fifth career, not job career, because I started out in politics and then academia, and sort of stumbled into the the world of of, of money management about 23 years ago, at a uh, uh, at Morningstar uh, here here in Chicago. And um, so, you know, for, for me, the, the, the personal journey was number one, just figuring out the, the, the technical pieces to it, but then recognizing after a number of years that there's a real personal side. To money that sometimes gets explored, but often does not, and you know, among other light bulb moments, kind of the pivot from investment management, where I was in the hedge fund industry and managing portfolios and doing all of that, which was was fun, it was lucrative, it was enjoyable, it was great, and moving more toward the wealth management industry, so the 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 advice business, and, and seeing that the opportunity to help real people in their day to day was an even bigger opportunity than I thought it was. And then I combined that with the fact that, you know, I've got three teenage kids. I've got aging parents. Um, Some things are great. Some things are not at all great. And so especially when I wrote The Geometry of Wealth, which, you know, I published that, I think, in 2018, which means I started, you know, thinking and writing about it in 2015, 2016. So it's been quite some time now. Um, you know, it was me looking at, you know, my my kids at the time and just wondering, you know, whether they were going to be okay. Um, seeing my parents begin to age and my wife's parents begin to age and ask, geez, you know, are they going to be okay? How, how are we going to be able to help them? And, you know, so I had been writing and thinking about the investment piece uh, uh, of our world for, for many years. And I kind of came to the conclusion at, at that point pivot point, like who, who cares? Or at the very least, like, how about we situate that, uh, that, that question within a broader context. And so the broader context is these questions, like, am I going to be okay? How much is enough? Does money buy happiness? And, And once I turned the light on in that dark room and I walked into it and I embraced it, I kind of felt like I got into, um, well, I felt a certain alignment with, with myself And, you know, the book's been really well received, which is humbling. And then, you know, it's clear, you know, from uh, from the geometry of wealth, the shaping wealth, you know, it's the inspiration for this business. And, you know, knock, knock wood, you know, about a year and a half into this, it's it's going well, the message, the message that we can have a broader conversation about money and doing so is a skill that we need to practice seems to be landing really well with a lot of people.
0: Do you talk to your teenagers about some of these concepts? Like, do you talk to them about funded contentment? Do you talk to them about underwriting a meaningful life? I mean, I have to imagine, like, you're their dad, so it's probably, like, woven into things. Like, do you have serious conversations with them?
2: Well, I hear words like cringe. <laughs> and at other times I hear nothing because they're just staring at their phone. Um, Tracy and I have been, I think, deliberately transparent about certain elements of money life, because I know growing up money was a great source of stress in the house. Not that we didn't have any, it's just my parents fought about it constantly and it was the zero sum battle and uh, it was really quite miserable. Um, And, you know, for, I, I didn't want them to have that experience. Um, And so, you know, I'm not showing them my pay stub. Um, I'm not getting into the details of the, you know, the family portfolio but um, I want to create, and I think we've created a, a culture of transparency in our family where we can talk about what things cost. We can talk about things that we can't afford. You know, I've done pretty well over the years, and there's lots of stuff that we either can't afford outright or we can't afford, but it's not a good use of our money. Um, you know, we've taken you know we love travel as a family. There's been opportunities to say, hey, that thing, these, these two things cost X versus 3X. We can do either. What do you think the trade-offs are? So I, yeah, I, I'm not talking to my kids about funded contentment, but I am trying to create, we are trying to create a healthy attitude toward these things because so much of money life um, becomes stigmatized at a younger age. I, I want them to kind of have the, the wiring and the space to engage in these things When their lives get much, much more complicated with, you know, you know, having jobs and needing to save and invest and having a partner and at some point having kids and all that, it's going to, you know, life's going to get messy. Hopefully some of this stuff rubs off on them.
0: I feel like that's such a wonderful gift that you're giving them because having open, truly, and transparent conversations. I mean, you shared a little bit. Can you
2: call, the, can you call them and tell them that? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> much of anything. Right
0: after this, Brian. Right after it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you shared a little bit of your story and, and growing up and what it was like, what that money conversation was like in your household. And I think, as a child, when you were a child, and I think we all have our own money stories um, that we bring forward. And we had a new school podcast guest, um, Anna and Jay Conte on last year. And she just talked about like removing judgment as it relates to money. And so the reason that I say that I really believe you're giving your children a gift is because if you send them off into the world, having had these transparent and honest conversations without judgment, right. And they're not going to bring that forward with them when they move into their careers and, and whatever the future looks like for them. And I think that that's just really important. I mean, Anna was talking to us about, you know, as an industry, we have minimums. So you talk to people and they're like, the first thing they think about when you ask them, do you work with a financial advisor is, oh, I probably can't afford it you know, Mm -hmm. I probably don't meet the minimum. Like they're, they're putting judgment on themselves because of how the industry Mm -hmm. shows up. So there was a sort of, I think, hidden thinking behind the question about how you're talking with your children, because so much of this I think is ingrained in like how we're raised and how we develop. And so as an industry, if we can hear these things... And if we can see these examples and if we can have emotional resonance for how Brian talks with his children, that actually could have significant impact.
2: I, you know, so you used the phrase how the industry shows up. And if I can just press on that, because I, 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 I really like that phrasing. And the fact is that the industry shows up in a really lousy way most of the time. And I've thought about this a lot lately, because what we're doing, you know, for the most part is tra- training, you know, our, our main programs called Building the Behavioral Advisor. We think about it as someone who really takes seriously the human experience of money. And that's a big, big conversation. The the fact so so we're sort of, you know, building out the supply side of behavioral advice. But I've increasingly thought about, well, what's the demand side? What is it that let's just say, use, use the word consumers. Um, it's not as fancy as clients or partners or, or whatever. It's just okay. There's people out there who have budgets and they want to spend on you know money on things that are valuable to them. You know what is the consumer interest in behavioral advice? And I'd say that in one way, it, it's 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 growing, but still small because the industry has has done such a lousy job at articulating what's possible and when i think of anna who i am a huge fan of I actually got to meet her in person at a conference a few weeks ago which was just such a a privilege you know you know she she's one of the people who's putting out into the world that we can talk about these things it's the permission and validation rhythm that that is that is so important the industry has such a long way to go and by industry i mean the financial advice business financial advisors advisory platforms of telling the world that we are allowed to talk about where money fits into a meaningful life and yes there are very specific budgeting and charitable giving and taxation and estate issues that need to be uh, dealt with but you know in the vein of zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance advisors are both mechanics and guides and so you can handle the mechanical thing but you can also be a guide and we're seeing more of that storytelling. I know you guys are helping advisors with that storytelling, but there ain't much of it. And um, it would be good if there were more, because the other forms of well-being, the physical, the emotional, the, the spiritual, which to me are the kind of the, the three in addition to financial, we've got legitimate institutionalized help in those other areas. We have physicians we have clergy we have therapists and you may or not you you you, you may you know avail yourselves of 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 those folks or not but they're right there and they're easy when you think about your financial well-being well first of all what in, what in the hell does that even mean but beyond that like who's helping you with that and the fact that your you know financial advisor probably isn't helping you think more broadly about your financial well-being tells you how far we have to go
1: there's so much I could say about this. And there's so many questions that I have for you, Brian, because you're just like in our world in terms of the things we're consistently thinking about. Uh, we're coaching advisors across the spectrum in their businesses. And mm. I think a lot of our coaching centers around that permission piece, right? Mm. And so, because that's really the crux of it, because I think they we want to be human. We want to be vulnerable. And we want to be authentic Well, for nothing else, except for it's less tiring. Like, you know, like when we can just like be ourselves, it's like less tiring and Mm -hmm. we can create greater connections. So part of what we really do through what we call our new school ethos is we don't coach on or advise our clients on anything we haven't done firsthand. So that's one mm. of the things that we're really like clear on. And so we call it the, the vein of like demonstration. So instead of telling, we're always demonstrating. So our mm. ways of being communicate versus just our words.
2: Mm.
1: When you're thinking about coaching all of your advisors, are you seeing the same Is this showing up differently for you? What is your experience in that um, helping people Shape their behaviors and their mindsets to be able to deliver greater value and impact.
2: Yeah, I really, I, I, I really like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're t- in total al- alignment because, um, you know, we we talk about this idea of player coaches which I wasn't sure how that was going to land so, like a year ago, and it's landed exceptionally well. It, it seems like, you know, people understand that in sports, sometimes you can have, you know, someone on the team who's not just a coach, but they're on the court or they're on the pitch with you. And so when we talk to advisors about us training uh, player coaches in the uh, quest for funded contentment, they they, they get that. And so when we have people go through our courses and we work with them, we, we say, you know, it, it's not acceptable that you just attend. We need you to show up, meaning that we need you to really engage in your own personal journey and what seems to be landing. It's really early days, but, you know, we're we're paying close attention to how our learners are are kind of reacting and, and, and responding and to the extent that we are framing our coaching as an opportunity for personal growth what is mm-hmm. funded contentment to you what is how do you underwrite a meaningful life where you know how much is enough are you going to be okay all the big questions that we like to explore the feedback we're getting from advisors is is great and quite consistent across different audiences um, and different experiences which is you're asking of me questions i've asked clients for 20 or 30 years and no one's ever asked me before no one's ever asked me my money story no one's ever asked me what money means to me no one's ever asked me whether or not i think money buys happiness well we're asking all of those questions and many many others um, over the experiences that we create and we're finding that that Opportunity for personal growth then has wonderful um, consequences for professional development because you can get to the end of the line and ask really, uh, I, I think, sterile and tin-eared questions about return on investment and things like that. Like, oh, if I take your class, is it going to produce X number of new assets and fees? And, you know, I, I, I understand we, including me, have to have to pay the bills. But there is something about not just attending, but showing up and, you know, learning how to be that authentic self, delivering a better experience for your clients. And if that doesn't translate into higher client satisfaction, higher retention rates, more clients, more assets, um, then something has gone wrong in the mix. Um, we're, We're seeing that those... You know, end of the line quantitative material um, uh, consequences are very much happening, but not because we're managing to them. They they just stem from a more authentic process.
1: So I have an interesting question. And I I don't know if you'll be able to answer it, but I, I'd love kind of like your gut response, and maybe it's something that you've you've thought about before. But one of the reasons we only Uh, we tell our clients to speak from first-hand experience. And the reason that we only speak from or advise on from anything from first-hand experience is because we're now to the point that we started with in the information space. There's so much content available. Anyone can create videos, anyone can create podcasts. And we've become so discerning that we can tell when someone's selling to us and we can tell when someone's not talking from first-hand experience. So it's not just a woo-woo progressive notion. It's like Mm -hmm. it's a notion to increase effectiveness. And I know you're a PhD and you've got all this really impressive um, experience. So what is it? How is it? What? How is it that we're able to discern when someone's not speaking from firsthand experience?
2: <laughs> so my partner, Neil, is an expert in applied neuroscience. I, I don't know if we could patch him in because... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. We're... Uh, let me just give you a real short answer because yeah. a, a, a fulsome answer is I I I don't know how to fully explain it. But the fact is yeah. that we are we are social creatures and we are highly highly attuned social creatures, and so you know things like status and envy and reciprocity and and a lot of these uh, dimensions that go into the nature of our uh, social um, relationships, which. Are genetically wired and very much constitutive of our evolving identity as as individual humans. Uh, we're just we're just Johnny on the spot. Like we 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 can we pick things up pretty quickly. So uh, you know maybe there's an element of skill to it in terms of okay in the internet age you know when someone's pitching you uh, uh, in 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 a certain way but. Um, I don't know. I, I think all of us sort of recognize that when when someone's pitching you versus speaking from the heart, uh, you you can just pick up on it. But that's also hundreds of years of evolution of us being social creatures, us being tribal in, in a good sense. You know, small T, not the big T for today. Uh, today's politics. Um, we just get it.
0: Yeah. So uh, Candace and I were at a conference last week and there was a speaker very old school industry speaker who was coaching the audience on picking up on physical cues from clients when you're meeting and all the things. All the things. But really the punchline for him for this speaker at the end was when you see your male client do this, go for the clothes. Yeah. Go for the clothes. And I mean, Candace and I were like so offended on so many levels. And wow. I, yeah. It was remarkable. So having this conversation, Brian, like just a few days after that gives me such fulfillment <laughs> and hope. And because truthfully, Candace and I could talk to you about this for days and <sighs> still have a hunger for more and wanting to learn more and experience more through your experiences. So thank you for what you're doing and what you're building with Shaping Wealth and with your first course, building the behavioral advisor. What does like outrageous success look like for you? What are you building toward?
2: Um, I myself am building toward funded contentment. Um, I've thought about this a lot and, you know, I, 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 I think one of the right ways to frame what most of us want is is to do so not as a maximization problem, but an optimization problem. Um, I think a lot about, in fact, I think book four, which I don't know, 2027, I haven't started it. So who the hell knows um, is going to be on this tension in our lives, this genetically wired tension between wanting more and having enough. So desire versus satisfaction, both like virtuous, wholly incompatible at any moment in time. Um, I want to do what I'm doing right now, which is to just wake up and flow into my work, into my writing, into talking to people about things I think matter. Um, but I suspect that for most of them, it matters to them. And they often haven't been given the, not only the permission, but then on the back end of that, the mental models, you know, the, the frameworks we bring to bear. I I love this process of. Of, of simplification. So, you know, to me, um, I don't want to grow a, a big business. Um, I've got two amazing partners, Joy Leary and Neil Bage. They're amazing human beings who also happen to be like crazy talented. Um, I want the three of us to build something really cool. Um, I want my children to be proud of me. Um, I want to be able to, you know, um, I don't know. Just I, I just do what I'm 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 doing now, um, and and giving myself the the flex the flexibility and the time affluence, which is something we actually do coaching on time affluence for uh, financial advisors because they often lack the vocabulary for talking to clients about the trade off between money and time, which is very actually granular and tactical. But so I think a lot about time affluence, and I have a fair bit of that now like I'm never busy. I just have priorities and I get to set my own.
1: Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. We close out every episode by asking our guests because this is the New School podcast, what does the new school mean to you?
2: <laughs> oh man, the, the 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 new school is the the willingness to talk about money's relevance in leading a money in, in leading a meaningful life. Um, being, being able to go there and ask the uncomfortable questions that everybody actually wants to talk about.
1: Thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you?
2: Shapingwealth.com. Um, everything's there. Um, you know overview of who we are, a little bit of, on our programming, uh, behavioral uh, building the behavioral advisor. Um that is uh, oh and then I guess Twitter <laughs> Uh financial Twitter has actually been an amazing experience for me for many years now the friends and the learning opportunities notwithstanding all the noise and the BS of Twitter it's been it's sort of my day-to-day office and I love the experience there and I'm, I'm at Brian Portnoy so I'm easy to find there.
1: Thanks so much for coming on Brian
2: Thank you